This episode of the Keen on Yoga podcast is sponsored by Moments. It's a booking system we've been using for the last year, roughly speaking, and we really recommend it. Great for solo teachers, right up to studios with multiple sites. It's a one-stop shop, really, and it integrates with Zoom and allows you to take payments via PayPal and Stripe. You can set up courses, trainings, retreats, keep an eye on your business with robust reporting. It even runs a staff payroll. So if you do run a studio, it will take care of teacher payments as well. The excellent team at Moments will help you set up migrates from your other system and offer onboarding support. They're really hands-on at this. Once you've set up and are going, you will have time-saving automations, marketing and win-back campaigns to keep those students coming back. Moments literally takes care of the whole business side for you, so you're really free to take care of your creative side. Best of all, you've got that real-time support via phone, live chat and email. Moments is offering Keenan Yoga listeners and viewers a two-month free trial. Click on the link below or visit moments.com, that's moments.com, and book a demo. If you quote Keenan Yoga to get your free trial, you'll get two months free. Now on to the episode. So, welcome to Keenan Yoga for the second time, Magnus. It's lovely to have you. Um, Magnus, Thank you for having me. Yes, I mean, it's kind of, I, I never, Teresa says I never give enough time for people to reply. I'm just straight in with the introduction. But um, I was going to say, Magnus has written a fantastic book, if you haven't read it already, um, The Art of Stillness in a Noisy World. I never get the full title after that. I always, I know it was The Art of Stillness, but The Art of Stillness in a Noisy <laughs> World. It's a really good book um, and it's practical and much. it's, yeah, it's practical and it's, uh, but it's also got depth to it. Um, I don't usually read these kind of books that are, you know, more of a practical book. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretentious scholar, but um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I remember a, a number of the uh, imageries of the washing up in the in the summer home and this kind of things. And I really, really, I, yeah, I really, really like the book. So I recommend it to everyone uh, that's watching. And um, today, Magnus and I are going to talk again a little bit about meditation. Um, mm. Because we hear this word all the time, meditation, or oh, you've got to meditate, you know, uh, or even if you're a yoga practitioner, well, you know, yoga is only, uh, it's only really a precursor to meditation, or if you're not doing a meditation practice, you're not really doing yoga. But well, yeah, what, what does this really mean, right? So Magnus has been involved for many years in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, he's a uh, Tibetan uh, uh, language uh, scholar. He, he knows the language. He's, he's been invested in with some of the the very foremost teachers of Tibetan Buddhism. So um, he definitely uh, knows his stuff. And um, But on the other hand, I suppose a, a proviso here that Magnus is coming from, mainly you would say from that Tibetan Buddhist perspective, right? So the answers yeah. that Magnus will give today probably will be, you know, from a specific um, strain of Buddhism, which is the uh, Mahayana or Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhism. But nevertheless, they're generalized as well. So it's not just like they just, you know, just relate to, to if you want to be a Tibetan Buddhist. But nevertheless, Magnus does have this this particular background. So it's worth pointing out. And for anyone that's um, interested in Tibetan Buddhism, it's a, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. and, and um, mm-hmm. colorful and complex kind of set of practices but um just to, to kick off magnus on a more general level um what you know what what, what can we can expect from meditation because people talk about it like it's some panacea but um what actually does it do that's a good question and i would also just adding to that that um because i think it can be supportive to some yoga practitioners that actually what i did was that i was introduced to to, we talk more about that in our first uh, podcast. I was introduced to Tibetan Buddhism as a teenager because of mm. my family's uh, mm. engagement in, in uh, sponsoring Tibetan ch- uh, a child 
in, in, uh, mm. India and Nepal. Uh, and then I started Ashtanga Yoga, a six-day practice uh, at the age of, uh, age of 37. So I already mm. had uh, studied uh, meditation for decades. And then I started with a physical practice, which was very, I think it's just interesting to say that, that I, I've been involved in both. So, but my mm. perspective comes from the other way around. You say that uh, we normally do the asanas to prepare ourselves for meditation, <laughs> but yeah. I, I went the other way around, so to speak. So I started with no, I mean, what we're just as, just as to mention though that isn't it the same with the Tibetan Buddhism though? You only do the yoga right at the end. Exactly. You do all the practices, and then you do the yoga kind of as a finishing kind of thing. Uh, right? Yes, or meanwhile, but it's, it's, it's a bit right. of a hidden practice. At least I wasn't mm, introduced mm. very much. Of course, you're introduced to the prostrations, with, which mm. is a devotion, act of devotion uh, where, where you um, uh, where you use the body. Uh, meanwhile, uh, reciting uh, uh, mantras, mm. Reci reciting mantras. So there are some physical, but uh, actually I missed that part because uh, my body felt weaker and weaker because it sits so much. So mm. when I ca came to Ashtanga Yoga, I felt such a uh, relief to strengthen my body. And uh, again, I felt my uh, elongated spine and all those things, which was really nice. So, but at least just to give a picture of where, where mm. I'm coming from when mm. I talk about uh, things. So what can we expect out of meditation? I think, uh, I think uh, we can expect uh, very direct benefits that you will get the feeling that you become more calm abided, that you feel calm in your mind and you, you will have a, a space in between stimuli and response. So instead of that you're uh, employed or a slave under your, your uh, wandering thoughts and emotions, you will feel like now you have an option to don't follow. Mm. Um, mm. So, so something is happening. Stimuli, it can be an outer stimuli, mm. of course, but, but I think our worst enemies, after all, is more the inner stimuli of thoughts and emotions and old, mm. old uh, patterns of loops of thinking. And uh, in, in the state of meditation, quite early on, you will get the glimpse that, okay, there is something in my mind watching the rest of the mind. And you mm. can identify when things arise and how they take form and that you have the option to, to stick to it or either leave it. And if you leave it, it will have the same structure as everything that exists. It will take full form and it will change and after some time disappear. Mm. So, 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 so that's the first thing. Uh, and when you experience that, you will, you will get a relief from, I am, I am not my thoughts, I am not my emotions, I am not the sensations in my body. Mm. Of course, it's part of you, but you, 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 can, you can change the stakes so that you become the boss and not the employee of the thoughts. Mm. That's a very, mm -hmm. a very nice feeling. And of course, then I can, I can make the list long, but nowadays people know that you will strengthen your focus your uh, ability, your muscle of attention, and mm. uh, 
you will change your perspective. So, so that, that that is not we all know that from research projects conducted. Mm. And and if we look at the the word um, uh, you mentioned, I was interested in language. We have two words that are interesting. It's tingitsin in Tibetan is a word you use for samadhi and meditation. And actually it means sin is something that holds, you hold on to something. Tingitsin is you hold something firmly, you hold it unwaveringly. Unwaveringly, you say mm. that? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you hold something unwaveringly without uh, in equanimity. So mm. you don't you don't leave it anyhow, even if it's uh, if it's uh, good influences or bad influences coming, you still hold on to a specific object. And mm. then the other word is is uh, gom, with, with, which means uh, habituate, become familiar. So so you make your mind familiar with this new way of relating to things that you can hold on to something for as long as you want to and don't get lost in, in mind wandering. And when you have habituated for some time, when you have trained the, the formal meditation, this will be a new way of being, so to speak. Mm. It becomes more you. So that mm. is, but that, that in the beginning, you will only experience that. Meanwhile, you're doing the meditation, but after some time, you will see that, oh, I, I, th- this happens also in real-life situations, uh, mm. off, off the mat, so to speak. And, and that, mm. that is very interesting. Mm. Mm. So in terms of techniques, what, what are we exactly trying to do? Because you often hear this kind of like non-attachment, so you're kind of like, creating, you know, as you mentioned, creating space mm. and, you know, you don't, you know, kind of space between a thought and a reaction and seeing things out there. I mean, mm. they're very generalized kind of methods when they're, when they're talked about. I mean, can you give any more specifics as to when when, when we're sitting down, I, how to do this, how, mm. how to how to get this sense of of, of, of transitory of, of thoughts and non clean to thoughts? Yes, I think I think it, we all, we all have to start with. Uh, and again, I, men- I mentioned this from uh, a Tibetan Buddhist perspective, but we have to start with some kind of stabilizing uh, practice. So we call it shamatha in, in Buddhism, mm. or shine in Tibetan, shamatha. And uh, it can be as simple as you use an external object that you, you, you keep your mind steady on. And I think uh, if I teach uh, new beginners in in the shamatha meditation, I would use mm. maybe uh, hearing to, to listen to sounds as the first external object. And you can listen to sounds at distance, that you can listen to sounds, more subtle sounds, and you can learn that uh, experience that actually uh, the, the, you have the ability to move this attention from one point to another. And you can do this uh, uh, by intention, not mm. by random. And, and also you learn the concept of mindfulness that um, we, we use two components. We use uh, attention, what, but we also use um, peripheral awareness. And I think this is very important to understand. And I would describe it uh, that two different ways of knowing something or experience something that the mind have 
the ability to. Because take, for example, now uh, we are talking, but I'm quite sure that you have a peripheral awareness knowing that mm, there are mm. sounds in your room and if mm. somebody would come in and call your name like that sound we heard now you you will you will you will notice that a part of your mind will notice that it's like you're standing in a queue you know you can see people in the coffee at the coffee shop they're standing in the queue uh, in the line and they watch down in the cell phone but they won't miss out when it's their turn, mm. you know. They just know that, uh, okay, uh, mm. one cup, I want a cup of coffee. So this yeah. is a peripheral yeah. awareness. Mm. And this mm. is very useful when you practice uh, stabilizing meditation because then you understand that you're not supposed to shut down and you're not supposed right. to see thoughts as enemies. You have to block them. Uh, it right. will give you a total different view and you will understand that the attention is quite relaxed. So this peripheral awareness can take like 20-30% of, of, of the meditation. Mm. So, uh, so meditating on sounds and meditating on the breath, of course. This is, but we have mm. to do something that stabilizes our mind. Mm. Well, sounds is a new one. It sounds like... Mm that the sound might be distracting or it could easily be distracting, isn't it? If it's not done very carefully, that's look at listening to the sounds outside. Doesn't sound like it, it's focusing. It almost sounds like the opposite. Like, and as you mentioned, this kind of peripheral awareness seems to be expanding awareness outwards rather than in a way focusing awareness inwards. So it's, it's quite a different way of using the mind where you're not holding it so tight and kind of trying mm -hmm. You know, often kind of feel that the people, the way that people take Patanjali and and the med the kind of yoga meditation that we find in yoga mm. sutras is is trying to hold the mind as tight as you can and just stop anything coming in and, and you know like you would extinguish mm. a flame you know that kind of mm. that kind of ca cause the mind to go into a vacuum so nothing is happening at all and, and mind you know the idea that the mind is ceasing that the fl that the fluctuations of the mind are ceasing but what you're mm. describing is. A, a much looser kind of fluid, more fluid way of meditating where you're not actually trying to hold or stop the mind. You're, you're just trying to kind of observe it's, it's what it's doing in a way. Yes, exactly. Mm. It's like you're, you're, if you see, if you see, you see your mind as a, a, a room and the, this, this, this faculty of the mind that's observing is sitting very, relaxed like a chair mm. Mm. <laughs> and very content and not looking back not looking uh, for any um, thing to happen special specific to happen and it's like doors in this room it's like uh, the five aggregates is one door for each sense and things are coming in mm. uh, you, you can you, you can feel senses you can you can feel temperature you can feel everything is there thoughts and emotions mm. And you, ju you just sit still. And it's like you recognize, you're so aware, you're so alert. So the alertness is very important component. So immediately when something is coming in, you see it. And instead of trying to push it out again, you can mm. say, welcome, welcome stress, welcome worries, welcome anxiety. Mm. I see you. It's okay. But I have no interest at this moment to, to uh, associate or interfere with you because I, I have a different task going on here now. So you can be very, mm. very <laughs> clear and um, it almost sounds silly when I explain it. But this will disarm 
and this will keep the space a healthy space in between and you will also understand that they are not they are not a part of you because when you feel Mm. like depression or something like that you're you're over soaked Mm. with one emotion and this Mm. will give you a very healthy distance for me this was i think this was the absolute best thing i experienced when i was young when i started meditation because mm. I, I later on I, I'm diagnosed with ADHD, and I didn't okay. know that mm. I didn't know that at mm. that time. Mm. But for me, mm. that was such a relief because all those things uh, that I I was struggling with, I thought mm. it was me. Mm. <laughs> mm. You know, it was it was a hundred percent identification. And I, I remember I told myself, "Oh, is is this how it's gonna be?" I. I don't know. <laughs> this will be a hard one. <laughs> so, so. I think, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely reminds me of my, I mean, in the previous podcast, which everyone I, I should have mentioned before should, should listen to it. It's a great episode where Magnus talks about his childhood and, and this unique experience that, that you had with a, your family adopting a, a, a Tibetan refugee who happens ends mm. up kind of being your gateway into uh, mm. into this kind of whole new world of meditation, right? And um, not adopting, not it, adopting, but uh, but they were uh, sponsoring, sponsoring him, sponsor, and, and, they, and he was very yeah, close yeah. to us, like yeah, like yeah. the godson. Yes, and yes. I, I was titling yes. brother uh, when I was uh, kid yes, like that. Yeah. yes, mm. yes, yeah. Wrong words, mm. yeah, yeah. Because he was mm. he came to visit you, but he was also yes, uh, yes. you know in, in, living. Mm. He was living in India, so it was mm. A, mm. yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, we also talk about, you know, my involvement in Tibetan Buddhism. And it really mm. reminded me that, you know, the way that you talk about mind is that, that expansive quality of Buddhism, and particularly in Tibetan Buddhism, the idea of the expansiveness of the mind, rather than sometimes what I feel with other strains of meditation, this, this attempt to kind of close down an experience, right? Kind of, mm. a, a kind of denying of experiences, you know, mm. worldly experience or thoughts are wrong, you know, and what we're trying to do is, is you know, kind of, get into a box and, and keep everything out whereas you know, this <laughs> Tibetan Buddhism really opens up to say well there's nothing wrong with mm. all this it's just no. a way of it's the way of dealing with this and it's the way of mm. holding it in, a, in such a manner that it's it's with such a light-heartedness as Tibet mm. as you know, you know mm. Tibetan mm. you know um, Tolkus Rinpoche's etc do have that light-heartedness with the whole thing that which we, we you know Westerners seem to lack you know um, and mm. it also reminded me of the Marpa uh, sorry, the Milarepa story where he, he comes back to his cave and he finds all the all the demons in the cave, yes. you know. Beautiful story. And, and, and they're all, yeah, they're, they're all mucking around and uh, mm. he doesn't know what to do. And then in the end, he kind of makes them food. And, you know, and then they, mm. you know, that's the only way they, they they kind of all disappear suddenly, right? Because you can't, mm. you, you can't battle these things. So you just have to you know, embrace them in a way. Mm. You know? I think, exactly. I think that's roughly that's the, a brilliant the, example the brilliant yeah, example yeah, yeah. and 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 what you uh, and when i hear you explain this that uh, you try to box in meditation for for me it sounds like more like a civil war <laughs> you you will mm. ne- you will never mm. win you will never win no, because life no, will no, no. will will uh, will come to you sooner or later suffering mm. is a part of life mm. so what can you mm. do you can't mm. Mm. I, I i read a very nice metaphor um some, uh, I think it was Pakchuk Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher. He said mm. something like, "Like imagine your mind as a small room, like this box you're explaining. If you have a mm. very small room and you put like one bed in the room, it will be a bedroom. If you put a desk, it will be an office. So it mm. will, one thing will define right, right. the whole mind mm. 
But imagine mm-hmm. instead the spacious mind that I describe in meditation, mm. the big room. You can put many different furniture there, but not one thing will define the room. So you can, it's no yeah. problem. It's no problem to have thoughts and emotions. It's part of life. Yeah. I yeah. have a lot and of emotions. And you can also shift between them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. you become yeah. flexible, mental, psychological flexible. That's different. I think one, um, one Tibetan teacher, one Rinpoche, said to me that mind is like, I mean, they often compare the mind to the sky. You know, this is a, a metaphor you hear a lot, in, in particularly in Tibetan Buddhism, that mind, yeah. mind is like sky, expansiveness and infinite sky. And, mm. and I remember him saying, the problem is, is actually that you can't take the expansiveness right it's there mm. the expansiveness is there in your mind but it's too bright and you don't want to see it you can't take the degree of brightness that it is mm. you're not ready to experience you know? oh yes um, yes yes that's nice and, and and whether that bright sky is obscured by the a dark sun or a bright sun it doesn't matter so so you have to you have to yeah, deal with obscurations yeah, 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 anyhow nice. yeah, yeah. Uh, so to speak yeah yeah yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. moving on I, I wanted to ask whether it matters one one's perspective on on what one's doing um does that does that um, does that make a difference if you know i mean buddhism doesn't necessarily kind of posit like a, a kind of a, a, it's not so kind of theistic or or you know kind of metaphysical in in the kind of transcendental way that yoga is you know it's mm. it's you know i mean do we have to have an, an aim for this or can we just kind of let you know go with go with whatever comes up uh, you you mean like uh, if you need a special intention to for your yes practice? i mean you know like yeah yes exactly like are we uh. looking for something outside life or are we just looking to be mm. more comfortable in this life is that mm. the aim is that the are we are, you know can we be a materialist and be involved mm. in buddhism or do we need mm. to be some kind of have some kind of metaphysical some kind of transcendental aspiration as it were do we need to look are we are we inherently try, tied into looking outside life if we adopt meditation it's a it's a very good question i think and it's a, it's a i will try to cut myself short because there's so much to think but mm. if i if i first mm. put a a hat on which is more a secular hat i would say any intention is good uh, un- unless it doesn't hurt anyone else i mean nowadays you can you can use mindfulness and meditation for just become more focused at work or uh, is nothing wrong with that and you can mm. use mindfulness uh, to, to 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 strengthen your relation with your partner is nothing wrong with that mm. of course but but it's not uh, it's not the uh, the Buddhist take on meditation, that is important to, to understand because the mm. Buddhi- Buddhist meditation comes from, um, uh, from for, first it comes from actually the Buddha's own experience from life. You know, he was a prince, he had everything. And his father, he like, uh, he was, uh, he made like a setup that nothing can go wrong. He had many wives mm. and uh, all mm. material stuff that is needed for a life. But still, he, he felt there is some kind of dissatisfaction. And he went outside the castle and uh, he, he saw, uh, I, I think they call, they call the three or four uh, torments, tor- tor- torments, mm. did you say torment? Yeah. He saw like a, an old person and he saw a sick person and he saw a dead person and also he saw a, a sannyasi. Uh, and, and, uh, and he understood that, but it doesn't matter. 
I have all this, but I'm 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 going to I'm going to become old, sick, and I'm going to die. Mm. So mm. there is suffering in life because, as fast we understand this, we, we understand that this is uh, we, we we will lose uh, at some point. So so he, mm. he was like he was standing on one side of a river, and and he wanted to get away from suffering, and to come over the river he was using. Uh, dharma, and he, he tried first to to more destruct, be, be destructive, to to uh, to uh, to become. He 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 worked. He, he got a, a member of the sangha of the the yogis that was doing this very hard tapas, more more or less like destroying the body to get rid of suffering. But it didn't work for him, so he found the middle way. He wanted mm. to be still in the world, to live in the world, but not be of mm. it so to speak. So with the Dharma mm. teachings, he could come over, over the river uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, to get rid of the, of the uh, how to say, the cognitive suffering. He, he couldn't get mm. rid of the physical suffering. He was still going to become, as he did, he was, he was a human being. He was nothing else. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but the cognitive suffering he, he, he uh, solved, so to speak. Mm. So, so what I'm saying is, Buddhist meditation is about getting rid of suffering or to get the new mm. relationship with the circumstances of life. Mm. That is the take of Buddhist meditation. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, of course, if you take it even further, you can, I think there is like a line there because if you don't believe in karma in the sense mm. that we lived this mind has been in another body in a former mm. life, then of course it's a matter of faith. But I can also use karma in more psychological aspects like what we do today, tomorrow, that we will reap uh, that, that, mm. of that action. Mm. So you can see mm. it from many different points, but we have to be clear about that in many parts of Buddhism, especially in the Mahayana Buddhism. They really believe that there mm. is this karma that's going from life to life, and it can also manifest in new bodies that you can see in Tibetan Buddhism, in, in, for example, mm. in Dalai Lama. Yeah. I suppose I asked to it because I think there's often this, this belief that you can kind of use meditation like, like anything else in the world to kind of solve it and make it, make it work. But, you know, essentially with Buddhism, mm. there, there's the understanding that the world, in the way that we know it, trying to get what we want mm. out of it, and, and, and become happy in a kind of ple in a pleasure or excitement kind of way can never work, mm. you know. And mm. so I think it's, it's kind of, you know, it's still important to, to stress that the, the Buddhist understanding of meditation is to alleviate suffering, not to, to give oneself an extra pleasurable life, but, but through the no. understanding that essentially, that essentially everyone will suffer and that, and, and you know, I mean, and undoubtedly the Buddha, the Buddha crosses over the river to a different experience of life altogether, one which is very different to our own one, which is goal-centered and, and kind of accumulative, that we will accumulate enough stuff around us, whether it be, you know, emotional stuff or physical stuff or experiences, that we will somehow be happy out, outside somewhere in the future, right? And yes. basically, you know, the, you know mm. the, the Buddha realized that and mm. the Buddhism is, is based on is the fact that that will never happen in the way that we assume it will. So it's, it is, a, I mean, I think it's important to stress here that, you know, we can use meditation, you know, to, to help with every, with daily life, but essentially it's a, it is a vision, which is pretty far reaching 
really yeah and, pre- and pretty radical yeah, and pretty, pretty radical, radical. In, you know um, in, in terms of how different it is to to most to most normal let's say normative um mm. expressions of of the meaning of mm. life right you know, mm. I mean, but um you know it, yes obviously it makes perfect sense the buddha saw these things and then now we are just like the you know the buddha and the king who tried to hide them from the Buddha again, mm. we're in that position mm. ourselves, you know, mm. we're, we, you know, hiding away death from ourselves, hiding away mm. suffering from ourselves, mm. you know, hiding away, the, you know, and, you know, and pretending that the world in the way that we know it can work. But, you know, this is... Uh, That's very well put. Uh, yes, uh, very, very good. And I agree. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, it's all about that. And I think it's also one more thing is that we have to understand, again, I say that the Buddha was just a human being. Uh, the, the Siddhartha mm. Gautama was a human being, and and all this happened in midst of life. It was like a turmoil for him. He left his wife and son. Of course, he was sad for that, but he, he felt such a, a, um, a longing for the truth to understand this, and he tried so many different things. And he was almost mm. dying because of he, he, what he was doing to his body. So, so, uh, so opposite of many normative religious uh, saints he became enlightened there in that situation in life under just a normal tree <laughs> and it, 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 mm. it, it didn't take him to heaven or anything like that because he, he kept on living <laughs> on the earth and so so this is also a very interesting point that this option to experience nirvana is now Mm. It's now. It's not. And it's it, not when we die. It's now. It's in our mind. And that's that's a new thing as well. Really, relatively new because most religions. I mean, and you know, and, and most Indian phil- phil- philosophical takes, mm. philosophical beliefs w- would have it that you know, you know, the body being Maya and and uh, you know, the gunas being illusion that you can yes. only ever find it once once you die, once you leave. You know, so mm. the idea of jivan mukti or you know, yeah, and yeah. like you know, mm. of this life uh, liberation is is. This still a very refreshing thing to find in Buddhism, and I think a relatively new thing really in religions altogether. I mean, the same thing mm. with Christianity. It was mm. like you know, like mm. well, you know, like life. You know, you're never going to be happy in life, but when you get to, you know, you do good things in life, then you get to heaven afterwards. Mm. You know, we, you know, so mm. it's it's a it's a very alluring proposition held out here in the meditation that you mm. can find some resolution to enjoy in this life only. Nevertheless, the Buddha was not living the worldly life, as I mentioned that we. We, you know, we assume that we might still live. I mean, he was essentially dead in life, really, mm. if we honest, mm. you know, like he was living uh, as a sannyas, as a renunciate, you know, and he wasn't indulging in the things that we would usually consider, no. that may, you know, <laughs> that mm. make a life up, right? He wasn't going out for dinners and, and having sex and, you know, like, and, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and trying to, you know, and trying to develop his career and doing all the things that we usually think of as, but, as life. But he was a failure after that because when he, he, he came out as enlightened, you know, everybody didn't want to listen to him, so I, I don't, I don't know exactly uh, where what text that comes from. But it's, it's, it's described that uh, on his first session with uh, his uh, uh, to to, to uh, proclaim what he learned from these mm. sessions mm. Uh, under the tree, mm. uh, people said, that, "No, no, no, this is not." This is not proper explained. So he, he didn't success. It didn't come immediately. So for sure, okay. of, 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 for sure, he also had some struggles to to progress with his 
his career become, become more successful yeah <laughs> but, but i mean i think one thing you point out as well though that it was it wasn't through sheer tapas through through bodies and no. island and and kind of we say like a we kind of kind of force you know force against circumstance that he did it it was it was through a middle path of of kind of you know the, the, as you started the interview talking about acceptance and embracing rather than denial mm. and forcing mm. forcing circumstances to do your own bidding as we say to you know mm. it's it's a, this middle way is a very very subtle thing right um mm. so you, mm. would you like to talk a little bit more about that perhaps that you know um, yes i think it's uh that's the beauty of it i think because we always think that we have to go to 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 100 percent always to push something to win progression it always comes from that we're pushing but I, I think uh, Buddhism learned learned me the opposite, that to 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 be spacious and to embrace life circumstances, uh, it 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 takes you to deeper layers of of that center that we call I or the ego, so to speak, and you will change perspective on things, because the first lesson for Buddha was like. Okay, I see this guy is old, this guy is sick, this guy is dying, but it won't happen to me, does it? Yes, mm, I'm mm. sorry. It will happen to you as well. So we have to mm. uh, we have to accept life. If we don't accept life and we have to solve it, we are still in civil war. We are fighting against mm. something. But mm. The minute when Buddha, the Buddha understood that this is, nothing is permanent. Nothing outside is impermanent. Nothing inside me is uh, is, is permanent. And nothing inside mm. me is permanent. That's when it changed for him. He understood that everything is changing and I have to accept that. Don't fight against it. Then it was like mm. when Nirvana uh, appeared for him. I think there is mm. that is very beautiful, and if, and if we analyze that, like in a laboratory, we started now for thirty minutes. We talked now for thirty minutes, but mm. even you and me, we are not exactly the same from when we started. Now you said many things to me that I, I, I started to analyze and think about, and I for sure I will think about them after we quit this talk. I'm not completely the same as I was before. And nothing is. Mm. If we really mm. analyze mm. that, everything is changing. So we mm. have to accept so that. Yeah. But the problem yeah. is with the mind that we categorize things into aversion and something desire we want more of. Because immediately when we feed the ego with what we uh, what lifts us up, we, we grasp and immediately something coming up that we don't like. Suppose like a person come into the room that you are your mm. is your enemy, something like you, you want to take it away. Uh, so, so, the, so, so this categorization makes it difficult for us. It's it's uh, it, it's it doesn't give you a flow. It's like it's still like you're in the box fighting all the time. You mentioned the ego. I mean, and people in meditation, they, they kind of, you know, I mean, mm. this this ego, especially these days, is is uh, it's a hot, you know, it's mm. a real hot topic, isn't it? That you know, you also mentioned the idea with the ADHD that somehow mm. 
I think you felt somehow lacking or unworthy because you had this this difficulty, right? Mm. And then the you know with the Buddhism, it was no longer a difficulty because you didn't identify basically with mm. it so strongly, right? So, so I you know and so yeah, something to do with this this sense of rigid ego again, this 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 making a, a definite and non changing sense of I mm. that's perhaps the problem, and, and somehow mm. meditation serves to disband that. Do you, do you want to mm. talk a little bit more about the, the the difficulty of the ego and how to hold the ego instead of meditation? Because I don't think you're also talking about denying the sense of self either. There's no. still a sense of self there. Mm. It's just a different type of self than perhaps we're used to, that where the, the self is very much, again, in the in the box of mm. I like these things and I don't like these things and, and trying to keep the same, mm. which is which, which would be okay, which would be okay, but the, the world is always changing <laughs> and the ego is trying to keep the same. <laughs> yeah, and, yes, yes. Uh, and I think... Uh, uh, we say this in both yoga and meditation that we have to get rid of the ego uh, but still there's, there's some kind of destructive behavior in that and I don't think uh, that can work and I can relate to that mm. because and I felt in my late when I was a teenager years I also mm. felt like maybe I can uh, somehow due to some behaviors to destroy the, those things that are inside me. Mm. But uh, mm. I think uh, that will more or less lead, uh, lead to uh, psychotic uh, states more uh, mm. b b because you will, you will no longer have any anchor points inside you. So, mm. so you. so you get lost. There is no light on your path any longer. Maybe not even a path. So I think it's the Dalai Lama who said, like, what you're looking for is a robust and healthy relationship, uh, relation, uh, ego. So I see it's mm. more like a distilled focus point of consciousness. And this focus point is, is that, like, you, with all your experiences in life, you relate to this distilled focus point somehow. Mm. And this, this makes up uh, what we call the I. And it can be, it, it can be uh, healthy and it can be unhealthy. But again, the middle way, I think it's the best way, but it, it must be there. It, you must relate to something. Otherwise it will be, you, you will be psychotic, you won't be anything. It's like, I don't think mm. that is what it is that he was after. Because otherwise, like, mm. uh, otherwise, uh, if we again talk about Buddha, why did he talk about compassion and things like that? It doesn't make sense if you just erase everything. It's, it's, then it's nothing. I think if we talk more about interconnectedness and that happiness comes from feeling interconnected in the bigger society. So, so, um, yeah, so, so it's so a I question of relating to, to We that have to I. investigate the ego, mm -hmm. I think. We have to investigate mm -hmm. it. For example, if, if you started to criticize me, maybe I would mm. feel threatened. And I really would, would react with panic. That, But instead of letting that fire burst out, maybe in meditation you can look at it. Why did I feel threatened? What parts of me did feel threatened? What could happen if that fall apart? Is it, is it solid or is it built up on many components? You can start working on the mind and working on the ego. That's very different. 
and you will you will find yeah. out there is not is not a thing it's not <laughs> it's not one uh, atom <laughs> that we will find deep inside that there is mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. it's more like uh, yeah. what, what do you call this uh, when you I don't know the word in English, but when you you have water in the park, you can see water coming up like this. Fountain. Fountain. Yeah. Thank you. Fountain. You know, yeah, Fountain. You, you know that word. <laughs> yeah. well, we mentioned a we, men- uh, you we mentioned will, a healthy ego. Yeah. What 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 does that mean for you? A healthy ego, because you know there's still this this challenging word of ego. I think for most people is still completely negative. But what you're saying is quite different. That. What you need is actually a, a healthy ego. Healthy ego. A healthy ego is uh, is is not only thinking of your own. Um, what do you say? Um, that what what is good for you, not me, me, me. It's mm. a, it's, a, it's a more selfish ego. It's like an ego that can be. It can be proud. It can be proud of your family, of your kids, of your work, anything else like that. But it's not like just uh, feeding that that I am the best uh, I want this and you have this driving force at the sometimes this only thing that drives you is that you want something that's an unhealthy mm, ego mm. but to have a healthy ego is some an ego that wants to to uh, to uh, what do you say participate in the world and to be supportive for other people and understand that we only exist in interconnectedness with other people. So if you want to be happy, mm. you also want to see other people happy. Because you can't be happy if your friends are unhappy. It's very weird situations. Mm. You are interconnected. So that's the healthy ego that understands that, that after mm. all, you only exist in relation to others. Yeah. yeah. It's a difference. All right. Mm. And on a practical level for people listening, once again, because I'm sure I've asked you this previously as well, how you know how to, how how might we start to develop a meditation practice? I think for a lot of people, this seems a rather overwhelming idea, and um, maybe in terms of structuring, when to do, how consistently, how often, how long for, what to focus on to start with, mm-hmm. yeah, and how to judge it, how to judge whether we're being effective or not, whether we do, where we know we're heading in the right direction. How do we mm. know? That's a good question. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so to start, uh, I, I think intention is very good. Your first question: uh, Why? Are we, why? Why do we want to do this? And uh, and mm. it, it can be curiosity is good enough. Uh, but uh, most people coming to meditation, I think, are are uh, facing some kind of d- distraction or suffering in their lives, and mm. they want to mm. want to handle that, not get rid of, but they want mm. to handle that thing. So it's mm. good to just. Normally, when I get uh, meet a new, new uh, a beginner, I used to ask him, "Why do you want to learn this?" Uh, because mm. uh, I, I mm. want to see if I am the right person to help them, or if I can guide them to someone yeah. else. But I also want them to say it to themselves: "Why? Uh, what is my problem here? What is my thing?" So after mm. that, you you have to. Uh, and nowadays, it's maybe harder than ever because to find meditation is very easy. But it's like a jungle out there. You can find on YouTube and everywhere. But you need some kind of yeah, guidance yeah. in the beginning. It can be mm. from a book, uh, or it can mm. be from guided meditations online. Uh, mm. And uh, in the beginning, I would say that like you should you should uh, stop when you have your peak enthusiasm, so to speak. So, which means in the beginning that short sessions is really good. Ten, let's say ten minutes. 
let's say. Right. And, and you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, quit when you feel like oh, this is just too much. Uh, but I I, I success mm. after all. But it will make your career short in the meditation business. So mm. so I think if you if you work with an alarm clock, and you set it on ten minutes, and when when you come to seven eight minutes, you feel like oh can can it be over soon? Then it means like you have to shorten the session a bit to five minutes. But if you ten minutes passed and you feel like oh wow it feels quite easy, it's time to lengthen the time a little bit. So very general right. rules. Yes. Yeah yeah yeah. Great. Fantastic. And I would I would start yeah. with something that is. I mean, we have this uh, more complex analytical meditations and visualizations. I wouldn't start with that mm. because you have to stabilize the mind first. So, as I said... Yeah. It's kind of hilarious when you, <laughs> when you know anything about Tibetan Buddhism and you know what he's talking about. In terms of the complexity of visualizations, like, no, you probably wouldn't start with those. <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they can be quite uh, frightening. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but beautiful. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, why don't meditate on sounds? If you sit in a room, try to meditate on a very uh, clear sound in the room, might be from a fan or something like that. And then after some time, when you identify that sound and you can ask yourself questions, is, is the sound consistent or is it dynamic? Is it mm. high, low? Right. Um, mm. Don't ask, do I like it or not? Not like that. Just the, to try to define mm. the quality of the sound. Then when you define that, right. you move your attention to sound out in the street maybe and more subtle mm. sounds and go on like that. And I... I, I say meditate on sound is very good because nowadays many people have a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. And some people, I realized, get a little stressed when to meditate on the breath. Because mm. if, they, if they don't get a good introduction with some kind of breath work or pre-meditative uh, exercises, they can almost get uh, anxiety because of their uh, shallow breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, external yeah. objects like sounds is is very easy mm. to to relate to, and if it it won't increase the anxiety, it won't. And if mm. and, and and if it does, you can leave the sounds. You can just walk out. But if the anxiety yeah. increases in your body, you can't leave your body. So 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 that's also a good thing to start with. But after that, you can also mm. just mm. follow. And I have this. I always start with this. You can follow the inhalation and the exhalation and then explore the gap after the exhalation because the exhalation mm. is the way to go if you want to become relaxed. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, as you were saying at the start, it, is kind of, it very much sounds like, first of all, you're training the muscle of awareness. Yes, you do. The, you kind of, the, the ability to, to, mm. be, to be stronger in awareness and mm. then once you've got the ability to be you know, more focused and concentrated, then you can put your concentration on different points accordingly, you know, to, to, uh, to what you want to inquire about, yeah. I suppose. Mm. But first of all, you're just mm. trying to develop that sense of self uh, circumspection. Exactly. But there's one thing to add there that is interesting, I think, that is, uh, yeah. we, we, we are trying to focus one pointedly on one thing, as you say, your attention on, it, on the sound yeah. or something. But one thing, they are very, very yeah. clear in Buddhism that you have to focus on a, a, a positive thing, a positive thing, a healthy right. thing, and right. not a selfish thing. Right. Otherwise, right. otherwise right. So, so this makes yeah. sense. Yeah. If, you, if you're mindful on just 
making money for itself or something like that. You can't say that I'm doing meditation, Buddhist meditation, or mindfulness meditation. You are doing something else. Because, because if you want to take it into this spectrum, it must be something that, uh, of soft value for yourself or others. That comes from the good yeah. heart. Okay. That's very important. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think also to qualify that this focus that you're describing is really, really subtle because it's not like you're just trying to focus on the fan, as you mentioned, with and exclude all other sounds. It's just kind of a holding of the mind yeah. to, to be aware of everything that's kind of going on in it rather than just kind of like isolate. I just want to focus on this and not that because mm. that just takes you back into the same old dualism mm. that we're used exactly. to in the world. I, I want this and I don't want that, you know. And the constant mm. civil war that you mentioned, which is mm. which is daily life, you know, I want to have these experiences and not these ones, and and you know, mm. and and the, the, the Buddhism is mm. just allowing all experience to be part of awareness in a mm. way, isn't it? And be very um, relaxed. Well, I mean, That's also, as you mentioned, this, yeah. be very relaxed. Right. Your face, right. your shoulders. Don't be, yeah. be so hard on yourself. It's it's not like uh, not, it's, keep your spine elongated. It's good enough. And and uh, and then just yeah. rest your body, but be alert and don't fall asleep. But I suppose it's very difficult, is it? Because people trying to achieve in, in you know in meditation, just like they're trying to achieve anything else. I want to be good at meditation, or I mm. want to get something mm. out of the meditation for me personally. I want mm. to get a you know a, a feeling of better, you know. But, but you know, really, this this is the objective of Buddhism. You say it's important to qualify. It's not inherently to feel better it's just to be released from the suffering mm. of of trying in a way to constantly feel the best you can mm. right and the release from the suffering of trying to isolate your experience in the world to make it the perfect experience for the perfect individual self in a way yeah it? and building a new building a new relation to, to yourself it's, a, it's, it's what it's all about to, to that mm. self mm. to that sense mm. of self yeah as opposed to denying a sense of self altogether, mm. as we've mentioned with the ego. I would just ask you finally to wrap up, Magnus. I mean, what the, what's been the particular challenges you've had with, with meditation as you've done it for so many years now? I mean, I'd say, where, where are you? It was 50, so you've done it for like, a, you know, the best part of your life, right? You know, like, <laughs> yes. um, you know what, 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 yeah, what, what, what are your highs and lows, as it were, on this journey? Oh, uh, well, um, in, in the beginning, I was almost like... Uh, uh, I came from a quite uh, not so nice start. I, I, I wasn't felt very healthy. So at first I totally fell in love with mm. meditation and I felt it, it was clicking, clicking mm. with me. It worked on me very well. And I can't say exactly, but I, mm. think it, 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 I think it was something that I was in this context of getting introduced to Tibetan culture and I got more almost like high on all these things. I'm very, very interested. And as since I'm an ADHD, I intensified my attention towards one thing. So, I mean, I went back and forth to Nepal so many times, but I, even, I didn't, didn't even try a simple yoga posture asana. <laughs> I was just wanting to go to, to, to the meditative aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, definitely in the beginning, it was, it was to stay focused. Because I mean that that's in the nature of ADHD that distraction is really uh, is really there all the time, so so it, it took me out and back to meditation. But I, I read early on an instruction that this is part of the the meditation. It actually, it's the first step on the, of the shamatha to understand that your mind is cluttery, and and to be very mm. self compassionate about that 
and try to stay at one point with your focus and you lose your attention and you go away to cognitive processes and then bring it back again. Like you're teaching a small kid or a dog to do something, but with gentle hand all the time. Mm. So that was, that was, mm. and then also I had a lot of, um, uh, also part of my ADHD, I think, but I had a lot of bodily sensations that was really tough for me. I had a lot of, you call ticks. So I had this like impulses right. in my body that I tried to I move my right. body in small <laughs> ways. And, and still right, that right. actually right. is the... Interesting. That is actually huh. still. I thought about that the other week. What, what, what are my obstacles? Right. And, uh, and yeah, thoughts yeah, and emotions yeah. I can... Uh, is not an obstacle in meditation any longer. But to, uh, the bodily sensations is actually more of a problem for me sometimes. And I can't, uh, and that's also, I think, why uh, yoga asana has been so useful for me because I, I can work on the right. body uh, on, on subtle layers in a, in a very natural way, which, which helps me with that. But still, still, that's the part of this diagnosis, and uh, especially nighttime, I can still have quite hard times with it. So, so, uh, right, huh. but, uh, hmm. um, but on the other hand, the highest, the highest is. I think it's. Uh, I think we talked about that last time. But you know, my my youngest daughter is uh, is uh, born with a rare diagnosis called a golden heart mm. with this series of uh, of uh, problem issues, bodily issues, uh, all from deafness and uh, mm. sight problems, and uh, her spine is very problematic. But during her, she did twenty five surgeries during her first ten years, and and that was actually it was a very tough period but in terms of meditation mm. that was when i become like uh, adult in meditation or i really felt like that now right. I, i'm grown up to mm. take my responsibility because mm. i could really use mm. the exercises off the mat and handle mm. handle uh, that situation much better than i would do without meditation yeah. so that that is also i want something to say the, yeah. the retreat is in life it's going on all the time. You're not going to retreat just for one weekend mm. and perform meditation. The retreat is in those situations. So just like when Buddha went outside castle and saw this uh, old, sick and dead person, I also faced a very big problem in my life, actually. And it's still there. And I can't mm. take it away. And mm. I, I I love mm. my daughter. <laughs> uh, but but mm. it's a lot of, it's been a lot of suffering there. But I could handle it mm. at least quite okay and that's good enough for me <laughs> yeah oh that's a beautiful place to end the interview and, and and thank you for speaking so candidly and honestly about your experiences as well um if anyone wants to pursue this further magnus uh, will be linked um, in the uh, in the uh, write-up and his book as well which i again recommend you reading it's a really really great book so um, all that remains is for me to thank you, Magnus, for your time and for coming on and another wonderful chat with you, which is, uh, funnily enough, me and Magnus have kind of become friends. We know we've not met, no. but, uh, you know, Someday we're very much a kid, kindred spirits. Yes. And, yes, we will meet. We absolutely will meet. But we've become, really, you know, nicely connected on, mm. online, on the mm. online format. So it's mm. been a, a wonderful uh, plus uh, side of these Thank times. you, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. And thank yeah. you for your great thanks, work. Thanks, thanks uh, for I enjoy me. following you, whatever you're doing. <laughs>